Hello and welcome to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. My quick tour of Marvel's Avengers Heroes office wraps up. This time I talk with Annalise Bissa about her career's progress from intern to editor. By discussing her background, mentors, and various responsibilities at the House of Ideas for the past few years, she provides an excellent overview of how her take on editing has developed. FYI, Portrait of an Editor has a Patreon page. For a buck a month, you can get all the interviews that are there, which go all the way back to 2017. Now here's my conversation with Annalise. Enjoy. So Annalise, welcome to Portrait of an Editor. Uh, thank you for coming here on Sunday. It sounds like I've, I just had Tom a couple weeks ago, which uh, here also on a Sunday. Does Marvel only let you guys out on Sundays or something? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> because I, I've mentioned it before a number of times that uh, editors usually find themselves underwater a lot with the work and all the spinning plates and fires they have to put out. I mean, you started out as an editorial intern, were an assistant editor, now you're an associate editor at the, is it the Avengers department or house? Or? Yeah, Avengers Heroes office, either okay. one. Is it is it really busy? Are you pretty crazy most of the days? Is it, you know, it is a deadline business. At the level of Marvel, you're putting out a lot of comics every week. And is it, do you feel it's a really, you know, what, what's an average work, work day for you hour wise? Sure. Um, it's definitely busy. Um, I, I personally find it manageable. I'm very, very lucky to work with Tom Brevoort as my senior editor and then Martin Biro as the assistant editor in our office. So having three people in general is very helpful rather than two. Um, and then Tom obviously is like an enormously capable person and just, you know, is able to run through things and make decisions very quickly, which helps as well. And then Martin is like, a superstar and so on top of everything so all of that helps it not turn into fire after fire because it's mm -hmm. just like a constant level of execution which i really appreciate um but yeah i mean it's generally 8 30 to roughly 5 30 every day um you know not to say that things don't sometimes crop up and cause issues and you know this and that the other thing but in general yeah it's a pretty standard work day though you know things just keep rolling in and it's just about you know making sure that you're moving on to the next thing expediently and making sure that you're triaging what needs to be triaged properly now because of what tom and i'm sorry who was the other person again uh, martin martin they've been obviously tom's been at it for a while and martin's been with marvel for how long i think like four years or so maybe a little bit longer okay now, is there, and Marvel's been publishing for, you know, decades, is there a pipeline that you basically had to become part of, or do you watch them sort of, is there a structure set up that for these guys, for all the, anybody who's an editor on getting, you know, executing the books and getting them done, et cetera? I mean, is there a system, for lack of a better word, in place that you guys just sort of plug into? to allow books to, you know, to be able to get the process and meet the dead, the many deadlines you have? Sure. Um, so it, it's a little bit interesting that you phrase it that way, because I am the 
most recent entry into the office, um, Alana Smith and I, we didn't switch offices. Alana moved to do uh, kind of run her own little vertical of things. And I came in as the associate editor in their office. And so I really did need to like plug into what their process was. Um, in terms of like from the start, like a book's conception, things start very differently, um, you know, in terms of how a project comes to exist in the, you know, Marvel system in the Marvel world um, between like, you know, we go to a writer and say, are you, do you have interest in writing this versus um, a writer who we already work with says, hey, can I pitch you on Stilt Man or whatever? And we say, sure, send us your best Stilt Man. Um, once it gets down to like the couple weeks prior to a book actually going, there is more of a standardized pipeline in terms of like Martin as the assistant editor managing like files being handed to the letterer um, and, and sort of tracking where all of that is. And, um, you know, we're all just like constantly coordinating with everybody who's working on the book to make sure that they know what their deadlines are. Um, and it really is like, it's not necessarily hierarchical in terms of like who's allowed to say what to who or any of any of that, right? Like anybody can send feedback on scripts or art or colors or lettering. Um, and so it really is just like, if you can tackle it, tackle it, get it done, get it back to whoever needs to go to. But then once we actually have the book, Martin reads it, I read it, Tom reads it. And that lets him sort of review our notes, make sure that, you know, everything we're, on is sort of exactly what we want to go back to the the writer and that kind of thing so i mean there is a standard sort of workflow from that standpoint but in general it really is like if you can handle it and take care of it go and get it done so as an even as an assistant or associate editor you have some i guess freedom or some um uh, maybe is the right word agency to be to work independently you know even though you have tom and martin in charge you know as the editors i mean you can provide notes because of the relationship you've because you've proven yourself already um it's fine and the talent expects that notes might be coming from you know, would come from you too, and it, it means, and it carries the same weight basically, no matter what your title is. Is that sure? I guess, the yeah, person. exactly. So, you know, I think generally when a book starts, um, folks who haven't worked with Marvel before will often get some version of an email that says, you know, here's our team it's Tom, Annalise, and Martin, you know, and, and I guess some people must uh, wonder why they're getting notes from an assistant or an associate editor. I haven't really heard that feedback directly, but uh, yeah, I know it's, it's very much, I think if there's a judgment element of being an editor overall, right? There, it's taste level, it's judgment, it's interacting with people from all over the world with different approaches and ideas. And so to some extent, they're not going to hire you unless there's an understanding that you're not going to just do crazy stuff for the sake of it. And, you know, if it's found out that you are, you know, cowboying off and just making wild decisions or trying to make, you know, email people to the side without everybody else on CC, et cetera, <laughs> like, you know, that'll be a problem. But in general, like I said, everyone's on CC. So if I send some 
know that Tom doesn't agree with, you know, I think he would be pretty quick or, you know, so before I worked with Tom, I worked with Jordan D. White in the X-Men office. Yeah, you were at the X-Men um, office, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, either of them or anybody I work with would be quick to go, uh, hang on a second, like, you know, mm-hmm. sorry for the reversal in notes. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding. Let's go in this direction. And it's just, you know, a matter of, especially working semi-remote as we are, yeah, you know, as much as we're all communicating, there's maybe one percent more of that. Like, oh, we're accidentally crossing wires, but overall, it's it's pretty much just it's collaborative. It's team sports. Everybody gets a say, and nobody gets their feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, number of questions. Uh, is there a difference coming from the X Men to the Avengers? Was there any noticeable difference changing um, houses or offices? Yeah, though, I mean, largely in, like, in the same way as any job, if you switched bosses, you would just get used to a new management style, a new way of running things. And so when I started at Marvel, I was working with Jordan, and then during my time with Jordan, I was promoted. And so when there was sort of a, a series of editorial shifts, I was slotted into the office, um, you know, and so I had never, for example, worked with an assistant editor. So I had never not been the one like at the base level, you know, handling mm-hmm. files and that kind of thing. So there were definitely a couple of weeks or months where I was like, oh, okay, I guess I don't need to go get the ink files sized and send them to the letter. I guess Martin's got that handled. Like, that's great. I guess I'll go read some scripts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like it's a change in, in mentality. And then just in general, like, you know, Tom being somebody who's worked at Marvel for as long as he has, has like a slightly different relationship with the organization than Jordan and just because they're different people as well. So um, it's been really fascinating switching offices and I've really, I mean, I have enjoyed everybody I've worked with because I've also, you know, stepped in to help Nick Lowe on Spider-Man stuff, you know, once or twice and different people, you know, as there are you know, hiring shifts and things. Sometimes you just step in on a, on a book here and there. And so everybody I've worked with, it's just like, we want the books to be good. We want the stories to be good. And we all want it to go out on time. <laughs> How did you approach communication? Like when you were going into the office and then now for the last, what, we're here at three years probably, where you are only, you're working from home and then also going into the office. And you know, as anybody, you know, along just any business, there's a amount of communication that can cost you time and money, depending on how you communicate. I even see it in my job. It's, you know, the lack of communication really can cost money. So how have you tried to organize your process, you know, switching back and forth, you know, and, and, and also the new process you're in now with, you know, working at home and then going into the office? Yeah. Um, so we weren't really an office that used like Skype or anything or not, sorry, not Skype. I'm looking at Skype. I'm <laughs> saying the wrong thing. Slack, uh, different S word. Um, so we never really, we had like certain messenger things that pe- people would use a little bit, but it was not like a majorly integrated part of our standard operations in general editorial offices just all sit in one little room together Mm -hmm. so it was just like you would turn around and ask a question um 
and in that way, again, like it's a very fun collaborative environment. Um, so that that has been like an interesting thing that has gone away to a certain extent or, or had gone away prior to being back in the office. Um, I really missed that environment of just like turning around and saying like, Oh, did you see this cover that just came in? It looks so good. Or does this look weird? You know, is my, is my eye failing me or what do you think? There's just like so much of that, that fell away to a certain extent, but I would say probably Slack is the piece that has most replaced that and allowed for that level of like just consistent communication and chatter. So it's just, you know, on, on one hand, you've got email. On the other hand, you've got Slack, and you're just running through it all day with how, you know, on Slack, it'll say, oh, there's a new proof of Avengers up for you to read. And so then, you know, I run off and do that. But I'm trying to keep track of my emails as they're all coming in. And it's, if anything that's coming in is also a, you know, a big fire I got to take care of. And so just, you know, one hand, two hand managing all of that. Um, but then being back in the office one day a week has been really lovely to just have the opportunity to ask ask questions without it feeling sort of like significant. Cause I think sometimes there can be that level of like, I'm writing this down. I'm yeah. asking you a significant question. <laughs> um, you can just kind of turn around and go, Hey, what do you think of this? Or, you know, it's not a problem. It's just, you know, a thought that I'm having, can I express this to you without needing to see your own words put on paper in that way that feels very formal? Um, and when you're somebody relatively junior, that can be a hurdle to expressing yourself or turning around in your chair and just saying, can I say you know, a dumb pitch for a book out loud and you tell me if there's anything there? As opposed to like, I'm writing you a pitch email. This mm -hmm. is very you know significant and it's going to crush me if you don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's that whole thing that everybody's been talking about ever since we moved to emails that, you know, I can't tell a joke, you know, or the, the whole facial expression communication, the, just everything else that we actually use to communicate and, you know, the subtext and subtleties that we have in communication have, you know, drop away and then you have to, how do you cover for that? So there is no continuing miscommunication. Yeah, I, I see that, that you, you actually have to work harder when you're working from home in a bit in a bit way of making sure to avoid misunderstandings in a way. Well, and I had never been in an office with Tom or Martin before the pandemic. Oh, really? uh, I was so. it switched over during I think June uh, 2021. And mm -hmm. so you know, I, I, I came in and I was trying to you know find my way in the office and get to know both of them better and so there was definitely a little bit of a like slower curve than I think there would have been if I just dropped into the desk in the room with them, mm -hmm. you know, eight hours a day or nine hours a day. Mm -hmm. Now, do you feel that, you know, as hopefully COVID goes away and we don't have to deal with another pandemic, that w what would you like? Would you like to be in the office five days a week or do you still like this sort of the half and half or, you know, the, the, the schedule you have right now? Which one do you find is most productive for you? Um, I I like the mix. Um, I I don't mind working from home. I think you know we get everything done. It's been reasonably good. But I, I do really like seeing people. I, I will say an interesting uh, side effect of it has been there's. I feel like there's a little bit more of an understanding of the like freelancer experience when everybody is separated and maybe it's sort of less so now as, as things have, you know, we've started going back a little bit, but I remember, especially like right at the beginning, 
there's just a sense of like, oh, well, this is what it's like to just kind of be in your house. Mm-hmm. And like every time you want to talk to somebody, you have to like reach out and you have to like really put that effort into make connections with people in a way you just don't when you're all on a floor working together all day. And so I think that was sort of like helpful almost to like align an understanding a little bit of this is what many of the folks we work with, like the mindset that they're in very often and to have like a increased level of like sympathy and empathy for that being very different from being like corporate nine to five kind of lifestyle. So I think that's been a a sort of a general upside of it, but overall I do prefer kind of having the the flexibility of working from home as well as the camaraderie of being in the office. Mm -hmm. And, but it, it helps as an editor. I mean, because I think in a number of conversations we've had, the empathy, the aspect of understanding people um, is an element of being an editor, being able to communicate and being able to just sort of, you know, understand how people function, you know, and how people deal with stress or deadlines. And that's, you know, that element to have that sense and be in that sort of frame of mind too, probably, you know, that helps add another thing to add to your quiver as an editor, um, you know, so... Um, yeah, that's great. So, um, yeah, no, you definitely have to remember how to be a human being, mm-hmm. you know, which I think sometimes it's easy to go, oh, everybody just lives in my little computer machine and, you know, occasionally a page comes out and it's beautiful art and, you know, on to the next thing. But yeah, just being able to be like, I'm a human being, you're a human being, sometimes a pipe explodes in your basement and the pages are going to be late and that's life. And like, how do we as human beings you know, communicate about that instead instead of you deciding that everything's a nightmare, you're going to get fired, there's no chance that anything's going to work out, it's going to be horrible, and you just, like, freak out and go silent, which is, you know, but, but you know, people have had all kinds of experiences in their lives, and I can, I never sort of fault people for freaking out or thinking that this is going to be the worst, because, you know, things have certainly... You know, not everybody's had like great experiences in the past, but simultaneously, like I'm a human being, you know, talk to me and mm-hmm. let's try to make this work and see if there's a way that everybody can come away from this satisfied because like there's you just I don't think gain anything by being, you know, the toughest guy in the room all the time. Like other than maybe I guess like a, a cool reputation for being the toughest guy in the room all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, that's never been sort of my mentality as an editor is like, I, you know, I want to rule through fear. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of like, sometimes it's all right to be the asshole in in the office at times because maybe it keeps people on the toes, but you, it, you, there has to be a balance. And I'm not saying everybody should, every editor should be an asshole at one point, you know, because that would just sort of that, you know, that I think you would also lose a lot of people and people, you know, deal with things differently, but it's about, because it is a deadline based, uh, business that who says we need to get it done, who pulls the, you know, goes, okay, I'm going to have to go to somebody else right now to get this done because it, the snowball effect that happens when a deadline's missed. I mean, I guess the question back to you is that when do you stand your ground 
I guess is more of a better way of putting it than being an asshole. You know, <laughs> when do you yeah, stand I mean, your ground on stuff because you know, because you can see the bigger picture of how things might snowball out into even more, you know, worse issues down the line. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's definitely one of the harder parts of the job. And right, like, so we, we were talking earlier about me being a Red Wings fan. I'm from the Midwest. I'm a Michigander. Um, you know, originally. And so I, you know, my mentality is generally, you know, be nice as long as you possibly can be polite, be considerate and respectful. And then when you have to make a certain decision and say, listen, we are at the point where we do not have any more options. We do not have any more time. There is no wiggle room. What needs to happen is this. I think people read it as this is a person who has looked for other options. This is a person who has actually done the math to is there more time and set and figured out that the answer is no. And generally, you know, artists are smart people and they understand, you know, if you gave them a deadline that's three weeks ago and you were communicative about that deadline and you were clear about it and there was never any question that that's what needed to happen and they've missed it and you say, okay, well, you are no longer going to be able to draw 20 pages, you are now going to be able to draw 15 pages, 99% of people, let's say actually, are not going to go, this is crazy. This is so unexpected. I, I could never have anticipated that the situation would occur. Like, they're going to go, yeah, I'm three weeks past the deadline that you told me mm-hmm. was the deadline. And sometimes, like I said, people have had bad experiences where they go, oh, like, I thought that deadline was fake because I've been told, you know, things that weren't real in the past. And and that's, like, a hard thing to deal with because you're editing for you, but you're also editing for everybody else's experiences they've had with every other editor in their past. And mm-hmm. you can't do anything about that. And so you just have to, like, I think approach things with a baseline of integrity and, like, if you're the one who screwed up and didn't give a solid deadline and someone's now at a point where like work's getting taken away from them because you screwed up. Like that's probably the worst situation you can be in because like everything I say also, I apologize to anybody listening to this is a complete paraphrase of things that Tom has probably already said, but like, you know, that's like somebody's rent money. And so when you're messing around with somebody's ability to make a living, that's like the biggest failure that you can have as an editor. So I think starting from one with like a baseline understanding of that and respect for people, clear communication, clear deadlines, and the ability to, like, firmly and consistently, like, apply rules of this is when, you know, when I say no more, like, the answer is no more. Unfortunately, like, that's kind of just your role as an editor. And if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable comfortable being able to tell somebody, like, this is the end of the line, it's going to make your your career as an editor extremely difficult mm-hmm. because but be but doing that is a thousand times easier when you've lived the rest of your relationship with that person in a way that you are you know happy to look back at mm-hmm. as opposed to oh i kind of strung them along i said i would be able to you know find them time i couldn't find them time i ignored their emails for a week i said i was doing my best but i you know i always knew all along that it wasn't going to work out like any of that stuff i think 
like you're just making your own life harder in the end. And like sometimes you can pull it out. And sometimes all that stuff, you know, if you choose to kind of wriggle your way through life, like sometimes it will work out, but sometimes it will blow up spectacularly. And then everybody is kind of like, oh man, like that is not a person I want to work with again because. And that could be exhausting too, trying to keep, you know, keep all those everything you said you know or what did i say you know or did i am i changing my story yeah it could be exhausting as an editor just trying to you know i guess roll back lies or roll back things that you didn't do or cover for things that you didn't do that added to the situation i think some people they're not even necessarily trying to lie i think they just they either believe or want to believe that a situation can be resolved through inaction or through a different, you know, approach. And, you know, I guess, you know, who, who am I to say anybody else's approach is bad, but, um, you know, just in general, I think that's, that's my answer to, you know, how do you tell somebody, Hey, you no longer work on this project, you know, is you tell them they're no longer working on the project, but the hard part is, you know, how do you feel about yourself at 6.01 PM or whatever, and I think the answer is you feel a lot better if you've gone about it in like a respectful and professional way. Gotcha. When you, so you're coming from the Midwest and you came to New York City, which mm-hmm. it's like the two opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, sometimes I think New Yorkers get a bad rap, but what did you, you know, when you see, you know, that come into the city and into New York City, New York, New York, and Marvel's such a New York company. Um, I don't know, what did you bring from the Midwest that you felt would be, that you still use nowadays uh, that helps you, you know, as an editor? You know, what sort of, you know, attitude, approach, POV, you know, especially when you're in New York, and I think Tom's from New Jersey or was a New Yorker at one point, you know, and just the office is so, you know, the the company is so New York. It's like, for me, growing up in New England, that was New York for me, reading all the Marvel comics. I couldn't wait to see the Marvel New York, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, so I've lived in New York, you know, my entire adult life. I went to school mm-hmm. here. Um I think just a level of like, I, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts on this one. I think it's, it for me, it's weirdly all also tied up in being relatively young and being a woman in comics. Um, I think all these things kind of, you put them in a pile. I think some people might encourage you to go like, just go like hard line, like be you know, just, like, super tough, no nonsense, like, make sure everybody respects you, and I mean, I guess this all kind of goes back to the same thing we were talking about before, um, and I, I just really do not, I, I think when I was first starting out, I felt like I really wanted to, like, show everybody that I, like, was here, and I was gonna, like, do a good job, and to me, that meant, like, I needed to be very, like, formal, and, like, you know, Miss Manners, Emily Post level professional in my emails. And I was going to like dress really formally. Like I showed up for my first Marvel internship uh, or uh, interview in like a full, like, you know, pantsuit, like level of formality. And that was not what was required whatsoever. Um, I I think I was just like, I'm going to use all these trappings to show people that like, this is how, you know, I'm good at my job. And I think 
throughout the past, you know, whatever, I mean, I, so I've been, I was an intern for six semesters in college, and then I shortly after graduation was hired as an assistant. Um, and so I've been working full-time at Marvel for about five and a half years now. And I think over the course of that time, um, I have just like really done my best to work into a level of comfort with my own approach and the idea that I'm in this role because I have, you know, a aesthetic approach. I have a, um, you know, I have an editorial voice. There's something there that, you know, the people who hired me thought would bring value to the company. Right. And so, I don't need to be Emily Post. I don't need to be, you know, Stan Lee. I don't need to be the toughest nails New Yorker or, you know, I, I don't need to be more uh, male. I don't need to be older. I don't need to be sort of anything other than like what I'm bringing to the role as long as what I'm bringing to the role is, you know, professional, respectful, et cetera, all of that. And so I think just sort of leaning into the Midwestern thing. I mean, mm -hmm. some of that is is like a folksy touch in uh, in writing and speaking, which can actually be complicated because a lot of people we work with, English is not their first language, yep. and so you gotta walk back some of the idiomatic language. Yeah, I had to do that a lot at Humanoids because we're working from anybody from Mexico all the way up, you know, the Ukraine to Italy to France, all these different. And England too. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like that stuff. I love. I love working with people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, you start to get into too much of the like, you know, I'm from the Midwest. Deep cuts in terms of linguistic use, and you're like, okay, nobody understands what I'm talking about anymore. I sound crazy. Um, but yeah, just like I think, just sort of trying to accept all of that rather than put it, you know, hide my light under a bushel as it were, and just say like if I want to put an exclamation point in this email, I'm going to put an exclamation point in this email, and if anybody reads that and goes, you know, man, like, you know, she, she's like really sort of overly enthusiastic or whatever, like that is truly their problem. Mm -hmm. Having enthusiasm for my job, having love for what I do, excitement over art and writing and teamwork and collaboration and comic books and heroes and all of that stuff, like, that's why I'm here. And so I'm, you know, I think I bring hopefully a level of like Midwestern, just sort of like, happiness <laughs> and enthusiasm to things um and you know i think that is there, obviously there's limits to it you don't want to wander around like you know pollyanna or anything but overall i think that's sort of what i bring to the role and hopefully that is a valuable part of the you know annalise bissa editorial experience but you're also Working with editors and watching, you know, your mentors, editors, Tom, folks from the X-Men department, you know, office that have been at it for a long time. So you're also learning their tricks and watching what this gotten them, allowed them to probably a lot of things that allowed them to maintain a long career in a business, especially at a point where they are, that there's not many jobs around. So to have the longevity and in the positions they are, are you stealing from their, you know, their playbook at times. They're like, oh, I can add that into what I've already started to develop as my approach to editing. Because as I've said, and I think I don't even know if I said it here, every editor is a unique 
you know, individual it has a unique approach to editing. And there are certain things that you all do the same, but at the end of the day, you can see a personality approach a book. You know, you can see the editor's personality on books if they are of it, if they're good, you know, and, and stuff. And I think the longevity, you know, the longer they're in the business, you start, you know, you can really see it. It really pops. So what are you seeing that you're holding on to yourself and developing your own approach, but what are you stealing from the older guys, I guess? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like I said, you know, uh, Many of the things that I would say that are sort of axioms mm -hmm. of the industry are fully, you know, are cribbed or fully stolen from Tom. Tom gives his uh, editorial approach, editorial um, philosophy talk to all the junior editors every year around San Diego Comic Con, um, and I think there's there may be versions of it. Romeo, I think maybe he. I think did it at a, at a con once or, or twice. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that stuff is just like the baseline understanding that I think most people working in editorial at Marvel kind of go back to in their heads is just in terms of like how to phrase thinking about certain things that we sort of all agree are like baseline. Um, and, and to your point about everybody has different things, right? Like, uh, you know, Nick Lowe has a thing where he's like, you know, every book should have kissing in it, right? And so, like, you know, which I think is is great as a as an approach because, as simple as it is, it reminds us that, you know, for all the punching and quipping and heroes on buses or heroes in space or whatever, like, there's like a you know romance component to some of these books that people do really attach to and love. And if you ask people about, you know, Peter Parker and mm -hmm. Mary Jane, like you're going to get some of the most passionate discussion of you know, their love story and, you know, the ups and downs of that love story, you know, more so than if you ask about, you know, who's the best, you know, villain in the Spider-Man pantheon or whatever. And I think and that's, so, I think that's an, a Marvel element where you compare it to yeah. like DC, the human aspect that, you know, once again, Marvel you know, showed us that just because you have superpowers, your life actually gets more difficult. You know, right. you know, things don't get. You know, they're not. You're not. You know, even though you have the power of a god, you know, it seems like it just okay. Now my human existence is more difficult. And yeah, and the romance aspect—that's great. I mean, I, I did. Well, yeah, all the feet of clay stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you you pick up these these sort of. Um, axioms again uh, from different people that you work with and I mean it's just if nothing else and this is another point in favor of being together in an office just hearing the way people like talk on the phone for example and how they have conversations with all different kinds of writers with different people within the company how people negotiate like oh I really want to use this character over here but you just told me that I can't you know how can we kind of work together to you know make your story work even though I'm going to play defense a little bit on my character like you know and just you just learn so much from working with everybody I mean and to your point everybody has the, the certain editorial tells that mm. I think are so much easier to identify in other people than yourself uh, like you're like, I, you know, nobody would be able to pick up on, you know, what what a book that I edit has. And then I was talking to Martin the other day, and he said something about like, oh, you're like you're really big on like ending lines and like like big like closing lines and like that kind of thing. And I was like, 
I guess, I guess kind of. Like, I, I wouldn't have thought so, but now now I, like, see like, see myself do it every time I note something about, like, a closing line. I'm like, yep, yeah, no, that's, and, like, breaking things out into, like, different balloons rather than having balloons be too long. Like, I hate yeah. a balloon that's, like, four sentences long. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's and so I'm always like, um, just chop it, chop it up. We got space. Um, well, or or just I, we can't have this much text here. It kills me. So yeah, I think you you learn from everybody. You start to develop your own set of quirks and you know pet peeves and everything. And you know, hopefully they make you stronger and not just less like, and not just like weirder and weirder. <laughs> now, as you moved up from interning at editorial which and you were there you said six semesters mm-hmm. that's a i mean most of the editors i've talked to who started at marvel they did maybe one or two semesters and would come back but so six semesters and then to assistant editor to you know an associate editor and now you're editing you know under tom um every step further up i mean every step as you progressed what was i guess the scariest thing you know, moving into a new area, what was the scariest thing for you as you moved up, you know, to the point where it seems like from looking at your credits, eventually you'll be fly free, you know, you're on your own, <laughs> um, through that, the experience, because it sounds like yeah. you were interning through college. So you're, you're a much different person than you were when you first started interning. <laughs> God, I hope so. Um, yeah, no, I think probably the scariest part of being an intern was just you know, starting out, you have no idea what you're doing, and it's Marvel. Like, it's mm-hmm. you're in the Marvel bullpen, you're walking around, and like, it, it was just every day I was there, I, I was like just completely mind blown. Like, sometimes, you know, editors would let me like sit in the office with them, and I would be like sorting comics, and I would hear them having conversations and it was amazing but as an intern you don't like fit anywhere really you're not in a specific office because the way that internships run now is you you are an intern for all of the editorial offices which in the past it used to be you just stick with one and i think that kind of helped because you built a very strong relationship with like three or four editors now it's you know you are interning for everyone Mm. and so you're trying to figure out how do i talk to everybody how do i you know, get a beat on everybody's books and how do I stay on, you know, because you're writing recaps for them and you're writing solicitation text occasionally or you're doing lineups and you're supposed to have this just like running understanding of all of the books. Wow. Which, especially when you're in college and you're like, I haven't been buying comics in, you know, in years. It's too expensive. And, you know, <laughs> and then like you, you drop in and they're like, do you know what's going on in, you know, Ghost yeah. Rider 47? And you're like, I can find out. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. Yeah, you, so that, you give me the lineup definitely... of the new X-Men or something right now. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> right. You're like, who's on the X-Men? I wish somebody would tell me. Um, but so, like, that's kind of a scary part. But obviously after I had, I had done that for a while, I felt very confident in the things that interns generally do, right? Writing recaps, book lineups, you know, helping people out with just like all these different little tasks in the office. And so then once you level up into being an assistant editor, there's this whole other level of terror where you realize how much you don't know and how little you've actually made contact with and how much of the job has nothing to do with any of this set of skills that you've like 
sweat, blood, and tears. Like, I want to become like the world's greatest recap writer. And it's like, you are going to write recaps for 4% of your day mm. <laughs> on any given day, maximum. And so much more of it is like knowing who everybody is in the industry. When people say things like, you know, about like somebody by first name and just through like association, you have to start understanding how to glean who they're talking about. And you're not even just talking about creators. You're talking about marketing people, publicity people, even probably printing, you know, the people that the deal, I don't know how, how did you know i know I, I have a bit about like marvel and i mean dc was you know departments dealing with certain things so you must need to know department heads who are dealing with just uh, I, I don't know just color or ink or paper or something i don't know go ahead. i'm sorry no no not at all there's def there's definitely a level of like and go talk to that person about that and you're like i don't know that where do they sit mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and what am i saying to them and you know and, and this is like the first couple weeks and months because like you, you referenced before marvel is such a deadline driven business nothing stops and waits for you to jump in right like i was putting books to press the first week that i started mm -hmm. um quite poorly uh and, but you know you, then you get better and better and you learn all the people and you start to understand slightly more of you know what the actual process is and all the different systems you have to use in order to make sure people get paid and the books are uploaded properly and all the files are in the right spots because we're just dealing with like a massive amount of data also in terms of like art files and that kind of thing and just making sure everything's in the correct folder that it needs to be so nobody yells at you it's like its own huge thing that you have to learn and so that's you know probably your first like six months to a year of being an assistant editor is just being like i am trying not to screw up in the next 15 minutes <laughs> if i can do that i will be like happy for a little bit and then I can move on to screwing up in the next 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and so like, you're, you're kind of like, and no matter how much anybody tries to help you or is nice to you or explains things to you, you just, you have a really hard time getting your head above water because there is so much to know so quickly. And that's one of those things that like, as new people come in, I've tried to be like, it's okay. You are going to feel massively overwhelmed Everybody gets where you are, and even if people seem, like, harried or annoyed or upset, very, very likely it is not at you, or at the very least it might be slightly at you, but they understand why you've done what you've done, and nobody is holding it against you. So just, like, take a deep breath when that happens, and, you know, if someone's mad at you, it will pass. They will forget about it because things are moving so quickly that no one is sitting there, like, writing in their little grudge notebook, like... Oh, yeah. Annalise Bissa made, you know, Daredevil 600 upload 15 minutes late because she's an idiot who doesn't know how to properly, you know, approve files or whatever. Um, but as long as you're not making the same mistake on issue 601, right. <laughs> that there's really not a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. But and if you it's keep all about making like, it... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then once you start doing your own projects, which Marvel is very good about, like, starting to give assistants and associates opportunities to do their own books, generally, like, annuals, what-ifs, that kind of thing, and kind of saying, like, listen, here's your shot, you know, who are you going to hire? And there's a certain amount of oversight, and you have conversations with, you know, senior editors and the, the talent management folks and all that, um, 
but really like you know this is your chance to show what kind of book do you make when we let you make any kind of book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and that is like you know to, to your question another tier of terrifying autonomy to be given because you're like i just get to make a marvel comic it can be about whatever and especially when it's your very very first one this is the only thing that has ever had your name editor Mm -hmm. on it and you're like well i hope i don't pick the wrong colorist or you know or or whatever because you know, as far as anybody knows, this is what I can do is this body of work, which is one thing. And to some extent, then as you do your second thing and third thing, that level of this needs to be the best thing I've ever put together fades while simultaneously you are getting more and more experience until the very act of like casting a colorist does not send you into and again some of this is just me right i'm not going to speak for everybody i'm sure some people are confidently casting colorists from day one you know but for me when i was originally starting to edit my own projects and especially starting to edit things that had um you know like two or three or four issues or oh, do this mini or whatever you're like oh my gosh like this is such a big decision this is crazy i'm gonna like I need to. I need to review every option. I need to understand, you know, every person who ever worked for us and how they're all going to work together. And I need to visualize it all in my head while simultaneously working on all the projects I'm doing for somebody else. You know, as, as the assistant or associate on the book. Um, and so then, of course, you always end up putting your own project at the bottom of the pile, which means you come to it at the end of the day and you're like, I can't even look at another page of script today or my brain's going to fall out, but I have to. So, you know, there's just that learning curve that just slowly, gradually evens out as you do more and more of it, or you start to go, I think this person is going to do a good job on this book. I think it will look nice. You know, I think it will tell a good story and I'm going to be happy with it. If I'm not, I'm the editor. I can make notes. Mm -hmm. If the notes aren't helping, we move on to the next step of figuring it out. And there's just that, that like brinksmanship of your first couple projects slowly settles down into I'm hopefully creating a body of work that I can look at and be satisfied in. And then that, you know, the folks who are looking at, at me as an editor, you know, within the company and outside of the company go, oh, that's what a book that Annalise Bissa puts together yeah. looks like. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, eventually at some point you're happy with what that body of work is. Now, to, just to clarify, this is mm-hmm. even as an associate editor, you're able, they will let you put books together. They will let you edit on your own. <clears throat> yeah, and then so associate. And so at that point, as an associate, if you're into a, a little a little while into being an associate editor and also as an assistant editor, you're part of your your job is to be putting books together, you know, being an editor. So I just wanted yeah. to clarify that. Now, no, totally. Um, I know. I know a lot of folks don't have like a. I mean, it's it's just like it's, it's not work. necessarily the most most straightforward, you know, piece of work ever. Um, because sometimes, you know, when you're an assistant or an associate, you are credited as editor in a book, for example, mm-hmm. because you led it. So, um, for example, when I was an assistant editor in the X Men office working, you know, as the assistant editor to Jordan D. White, I was full editor on New Mutants for a while. And so, 
you know, for that book, for all intents and purposes, I was allowed to say, you know, I would like to hire this person, right? So I'll give an example using that. So when I, so I, the book was going to become, so I was, so I'm trying to like remember, it was so many years ago at this point. Sorry, New Mutants um, was being written by Ed Brisson for a little bit and had a couple of different artists and I was editing during that period. Um, and when that was happening, we needed like an artist to fill in for an issue. It was my responsibility to find who that was going to be, cast them, etc. And then when the book went and it was being written by Vita Ayala, that was a, a situation that had been like sort of coordinated more at like Jordan's level because he was working on, you know, the entire sort of X-Men line and yeah. had been talking to Vita about their role in the office. And and so basically when I was taking the book at that point, Vita and then Rod Rice were both attached to it. So those were, you know, folks who were already going to work on the book and I didn't cast them, but in terms of reading scripts, setting deadlines, analyzing art, et cetera, that was all my job. And then if I needed help, Jordan could step in. And then when the book was actually being put together and sent off to print, Jordan was reading it and giving notes and feedback at that point as well. Um, but then, for example, some of our uh, fill-in issues were drawn by Alex Linz. And, you know, so when it came to looking for a fill-in artist, I went and asked Alex, and I was the one who came up with the idea to ask Alex. And, you know, sort of, sort of um, all that to say, yes, when you have, you know, your own book as an assistant or an associate, you are the full editor on it, and you definitely have you know, a structure where you can ask questions and get help, et cetera. But for all intents and purposes, it is your project. You have the latitude to make it whatever you like. Yeah, one of the, my goals on the podcast is to have, uh, you know, come up with a definition of what an assistant and associate editor is. And it, I still can't really, it's sort of elusive. It, it, it varies per person depending on um, where they're working you know, um, their experience, where they're coming from experience, and then how things change, you know, above them, you know, people leave, people come in, that changes the flux of everything. So that's why I'm just sort of, I guess, you know, giving it a third degree on this of where no, were you with that? <laughs> it's not clear. I saw very confidently espousing. No, it's not. Somewhere that you know, <laughs> editor was not actually a, t a rank at Marvel, and no one was, an, was a Marvel editor, because people who were at lower levels could be credited as that. It was like, uh -huh. you're, you're not right. Like, I, you know, and, and there's no, you know, where you don't have it listed on the website or anything. And I think it has changed throughout history what all of these things mean, right? Like shortly before I started at Marvel, um, editorial assistant was a job. Uh -huh. And now that job no longer exists. So there's definitely a level of like ambiguity. <laughs> so when you jump into this new world of associate editor and then you're working your way up to probably, you know, casting people, uh, creators. Did you have a Rolodex in your head already, either from reading comics and being, I mean, were you a comic reader before even starting Marvel? Okay. Yeah. So you knew creators, you knew probably what a colorist, you know, sort of names. When you saw, hey, go ahead and edit this book, you know, cast this book, were you drawing upon your fan experience or your professional experience on on putting a team together sure um 
it's it's a combination and i think um it's one of the things that it's very helpful to have our talent relations talent management group working you know with the editorial team because a lot of what they do is they understand the whole field and they know the terrain and they know who's where and i think sometimes also as a a fan you know like big names but you're not going to go hey you know does Chris Claremont want to write my Howling Commandos one shot? That's the first thing I've ed- ever edited. Like, you know, intellectually that that's not going to happen. And so it's a little hard because you're like, okay, who do I know who like is interested in writing, you know, things for Marvel and kind of like wants to break in and, and sort of, to some extent is like in their career where you are. And so obviously you can ask people who have like big, big names, but the, less likely to say yes and i think in general the party line would be you know ask people who want a shot at writing for marvel right like like you want a shot at editing more stuff they want a shot at writing things and so in terms of writers it's about like who's in the ether who is you know you know, who do we know? Who are we kind of working with? And so you, you might have a conversation with, you know, folks in the talent relations office. You might have worked with them previously. Um, I think a lot of the people I was a fan of, or I would have, you know, said I was a fan of, would, would not have really been like realistic mm-hmm. for that first level of casting. But you're also dealing um, with, I just realized you're also dealing with budgets too. So yeah, and so to it. yeah, right. You might get a little bit of like, hey, that's probably not going to work with what you know we planned for this book. Um, and then same thing with artists, though. I think the field is a little wider with artists because we just have so many folks that we work with across the world. And so, you know, again, that's where sometimes you just go. I have worked with this person. I love their work. I know. I really want to ask them. You know, are they? Fr- and then you just go and you have to kind of check and make sure they're free and make sure that to you know whatever extent the budget works generally. Sometimes you go, I don't really have anyone who like jumps to front of mind. Is there anyone available? And sometimes when you ask that, that can actually be very helpful because often you might be able to ask someone who you would never think would want to work on a one shot, but for example, they're under contract with Marvel and we would like to give them something to do for the next month. And, you know, it turns out that this is the kind of thing that they're interested in. So even if they are maybe like a higher profile artist than someone you would think would want to do your little one shot, Uh um, it turns out that, you know, they're actually somebody who is perfect for your book or, and you never would have thought to ask them. So just being able to, you know, work with the team at Marvel outside of exclusively, you know, just your little editorial group, but also like our talent group. And then also the, you know, part of our talent group that manages schedules and make sure that people, you know, aren't overbooked and all of that stuff. So it's as with everything in comics, a matter of just like balancing all of these components and going, what is, the best possible outcome based on the time that I have. Cause sometimes you also go, here's what I need. I need an artist who can draw seven pages a week. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> and so at that point you're putting yourself into like, that's a you small know, group right now. <laughs> who can do that? Right. Yeah. And so like, that's a whole other ball game is mm-hmm. if your book is in trouble, 
you have a big hole to dig out of where if you know it's like i need somebody who can do like two and a half pages a week you know for the next 10 weeks or whatever great you know here's your, here's your buffet of people yeah, who might be an, an option <laughs> It's a lot bigger. Yeah. So, I mean, where are you now? I mean, what's the scariest thing for you right now when it comes, because you've been at it, you know, for five years. So you're an associate (laughs) editor, but you're editing, uh, it seems like, um, from reading Tom's newsletter, more books every week, it seems. So um, what scares you now? See, (laughs) keep running with that theme. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a good one, because I think, I mean, all all creative work, which yeah, I know some people are like, ah, editors are just like corporate schmoes that are all just the man and whatever. But like, I, you know, hopefully that we are creative partners, right? And I think all the creative work is about fear, right? And like pushing limits and trying to do something that is better than the last thing you did. And so I think to that extent, the scariest part of being in that sort of mid-tier of being at Marvel is often you know you because you're in this big machine right and the machine is going to demand an x-men book and it's going to demand an avengers book and it's going to demand amazing spider-man and there are people who have been working at marvel for a million years who are going to work on those and they're going to edit those books because you know those are the tent poles and those are the ones that get all the orders and are a big deal and those you know are the ones that generally spin into events and all that stuff but when you're below that, you know, by one or two tiers, you start to get into like, what can I do? Like, what can I be pitching? What's gonna, what's going to hit and work for people? And, um, but you're doing that with some of the smaller pieces a lot of the time. And so, you know, for example, I'll point to someone I've already referenced, which is Alana Smith. And she, you know, was working with Tom for many years, and she loves Cap and all things Captain America, and over time really developed, like, a, you know, a set of books where, and, and sort of, like, pitches and sort of moved her overall set of things that she was interested in editing and things that she would pitch and all of that toward Captain America. And so even when she departed from working directly under Tom, she sort of took Cap with her. And so now she edits, you know, all the the Sam Wilson book, the Steve Rogers book. She obviously works on other stuff as well. But in general, when people think Captain America at Marvel right now, they think Alana Smith. Uh And that is, like, so masterfully done, I think, by her. You know, I don't don't think she's, like, sitting there, you know, like, you know, (laughs) cackling and, like, you know, know, twirling her mustache or anything. But specifically sort of trying to establish what kind of books you do mm-hmm. and what are the characters that you have like a feel for and a real affinity for and the kinds of things that, you know, you can do really well. And so the more of that that you can do and can establish, then the more of those books people will trust you to make and the, and sort of the larger your corner of the Marvel universe can be in the, and the richer it can become. Um, but it's very scary because sometimes you look around and you go like, okay, well, Cosmic's taken care of, you know, they're doing a great job over there and I'm not going to touch Star Wars because I, not my, not my problem, not my, not my, you know, my, you know, my circus, you know, 
obviously I'm not in the X-Men office, so I'm not going to do anything involving X, not in the Spidey office. Like, what exists in the Marvel Universe, in the Avengers world that, like, you know, I I can sort of work on? Because to some extent, you know, you, you get pitches in from people who you previously work with, because obviously we don't accept unsolicited pitches, pitches from people, you know, we don't already have, like, that relationship with. But you know, sometimes you also need to go to people and say, hey, would you like to pitch on that? Especially when you don't have an established corner of the world, it becomes about like, how do I, you know, set myself up to edit really, really great books with maybe slightly less real estate mm-hmm. with you know, within which to do that? And like, and a lot of that sometimes can look like, you know, going to editors and asking to do a tie-in to an event, for example, or something like that. Or, hey, there's this character, and I just realized we haven't done a miniseries about this character in, you know, 12 years. Uh And I think that, you know, that would actually, you know, maybe if we tied it to this thing, it would feel more natural. Um, And sometimes things sort of fall into your lap, like, hey, we need someone to do this. And someone just goes, okay, you you know you could probably use a book to work on go do this book but you know sometimes you also have to go out and do your own you know digging and and come up with your own work to a certain extent and that is very scary sometimes because you're like i mean at this point i'm just i'm just looking around for what is a great idea and just being able to generate ideas for books um you know, to a certain extent without trying to, like, write anything for writers, obviously, Uh um, can be a complicated situation and trying to find your way to telling great stories in the Marvel Universe, um, you know, without sort of stepping on anybody else's toes is is a big challenge. Because as you said in the beginning, a lot of the ideas... And, uh, are generated from the editors, the start of stuff. So you're creating, you know, when you're trying to get a book out there, you have to, you know, do a pitch to talent to try to uh, get them interested, get them passionate about the, the, the book that you would like to see, you know, and come on as collaborators with that and sort of take the reins after you've set up the pitch and moved it through, you know, got it <clears throat> okay to go, you know, turn it into whatever a mini series a one shot or whatever because it all is editorial generated a lot of this I mean not model. all of it but a, a lot of it, it. yeah, yeah. Um, it depends on the relationship with the creators and just where they are with Marvel where they stand in Marvel too that I know it I know it works both ways but yeah yeah a lot of it like if you were going to do a great lakes avengers series it would have to come from you probably <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean i think you know there there are I mean, we certainly have people who we already work with send emails all the time where they say, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, can I pitch you on Great Lakes Avengers? And sometimes the answer is, yes, definitely send it over. And sometimes the answer is, you know, listen, maybe save yourself the time. You know, always want to hear, you know, thoughts from the people we work with, but simultaneously, like reading the reading the you know the terrain it seems unlikely that such a project is likely to go forward so you know and some people have a better understanding of of how the whole sort of world of marvel 
looks and what the schedule looks like going forward and to what extent, you know, we would like a, a one shot here. We would like a mini here. Oh, we're looking a little light on this kind of thing. Maybe let's look for something like this. Um, and so again, like that's what one of the things that always kills me when people ask, like, how do you, how do you make a comic book? It's like, it can start in one of 80 different spots mm-hmm. of like, where does it come from? What shape is it in? Like I, I've had books come, you know, onto my desk as a thing that I am editing from all, you know, from every possible, you know, starting point. And I think that's one of the reasons that people who edit comics like love to do it is because it's, it's never the same in, on like from so many different axes. It's not just like, Oh, it's a different book. It's a different writer. It's like, it's a different writer, penciler, inker, colorist, letterer. Like there's just all these different pieces and the schedule is different on every book. And you know, the delivery pace, like sometimes you are working on a weekly series. And so you have to start, having that book drawn like a year plus in advance because it's going to come out so fast. Yeah. And so just all the different factors that you're constantly weighing as you make all these decisions, just it's almost addicting, I think to a certain kind of personality. There's an adrenaline um, rush because you are not going in, you know, every day can be different. So I would think there is sort of an adrenaline rush of getting something up and running, you know, yeah. seeing it through. And then also the whole, you know, f- the completion, especially, you know, if it's a path that you haven't gone down, it's something that's not, you know, familiar with you, you know, that you're here, you are you know, like, Oh, this book came together completely different than what I ever experienced. And that, I think that would yeah. be exciting. Well, like I, I worked on like uh, House of X and Powers of Ten, and that was one of those ones where, like, it was just you know all the other X Men books were going away. Those ones were going to be in their place. They were like these big, yeah. You know, they had the data pages. They were coming out so fast. We were working with these great artists. The attention and, on the books too at that point, yeah. It, it was just it was wild because I'd been at Marvel right. I think maybe roughly maybe like six months at that point, maybe a little bit longer. Mm. Um, And so it it was just like, you know, I I was going from like working on books that were sort of coming out of this like very standard monthly schedule for the most part, and then turning around and just this like blast of like different, like a, a different way to do everything and like how things were being handled. And there were, you know, like, you know, there was a, some like preview page that wasn't supposed to go up that went up and it was like, you know, you're like r- racing around trying to find somebody to take down a preview page. Cause you're like, people are going to notice, like people are going to freak out about this. You know, there's just, you know, it's, it's very exciting uh, when, when stuff like that is, is so different because it forces you to kind of like just approach everything differently. <laughs> so I've had you on for over an hour. So I want to let you have your evening get back and I got to get ready for the Bruins. Hopefully, you know, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. they don't go the way of the Red Wings. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I just want to seeing, I haven't, you, you're I actually one of my, a new guest. I've for, I've been on a stretch of people who have been on the show before. So, 
typically my when you're a first timer I just bookend the 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 interview with um, the lightning round it's like 4.5 questions just to sort of cap everything off so just whatever comes to mind at first for the answer and we'll uh, let you have your Sunday night back so right. so uh, what creator living or dead would you like to have the chance to to edit that is a very hard wait here's how i'll answer this one uh i have never gotten to work with annie Wu, and i love her art i'd love to work with annie Wu. okay what comic have you read recently that just really wowed you I'm, I'm like sorting through so many options. You know, what? I read uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy launch, and I really loved that. I thought it was a very cool book. Mm-hmm. What was it about that it, that just stood out for you? They're doing like a Western thing with it, uh, and it's it's just like a, it's a great. It feels like a great, you know, classic of our all. Great jumping on point, um, but like, it, like it's just it's very stylish. It's not afraid to be like a little bit like I don't know everybody's not like, everybody's not perfect but not in a way that feels like movie everybody's got issues but like everyone's got like issues mm-hmm. and like it's just it's it's well done it's beautiful um I don't know I, I, I like well, I definitely I wanted to read more of it immediately mm-hmm. so when working do you have music a podcast or even an audiobook or maybe just silence what is the best noise for you when you're working it really depends what i'm doing i generally like to work in silence but uh sometimes when i'm really trying to like get things done i'll just put on um, like very loud music on on repeat i think yeah, at one point I said I said something on Twitter. Oh, this is a million years ago at this point about how like a not small amount of House of X was made to uh, London Bridge by Fergie, <laughs> which is like horribly embarrassing, but really indicative of like the kind of music that sometimes I just need to like use to get my brain in in gear to go just fast. Mm-hmm. So, and then what is your favorite comic book convention and why? I've only ever been to New York Comic Con. I had never been to a comics convention before I started at Marvel. So I, you know, I just, I love New York. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year, every year now. And it just, it's just an awesome time of year and a convention. And it's a great place to see like all these people because people come in from all around the world. So I have a lot of love for it, but I am hopefully going to go to other conventions someday and have some competition. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself going to San Diego this year now that it seems like conventions are back? I, I have no idea. That I mean, it would all kind of be managed through Marvel, and so I can't mm. can't speak to it. Well, the thing with, like, with New York versus San Diego is, and they're both the same size, and New York came, uh, you were at New York this past October, right? Yes. Yeah, and it, it's back. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but the thing is, like, you can walk... Not, not even five blocks, and you don't even know there's a comic book convention taking over the Javits Center in New York City. Well, in San Diego, it is the town. It just, oh. the convention owns the town everywhere. So, um, you know, even the Padres don't, won't even play downtown anymore, which they used to. A couple of the shows they did, and but they, I think it was just too much to handle. But it was nice to, like, oh, go to a convention hall and then to a baseball game. So oh, That does sound nice. No, I, I would love to go to San Diego. I, 
you know, like I said, I'd love to go to any convention, but mm-hmm. uh, thus, thus far, nothing can compete with New York because it's the only one I've been to. Uh, it's a great con. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's really great. And I think it has the best artist alley and still does, even with everything that's happened with COVID and, and to New York, too, you know, with COVID that the artist alley, I'm glad they've been able to really maintain that. It's yeah, a highlight it's of the just, show. Like, if, if I can get it up and down like one aisle in like half a day i've done pretty well (laughs) it's it's just such a like yeah stop it stop stuff it's and so i love that like it's just all these people who for the rest of the year are names on a screen are all in one room together yeah that's great good well hey it was great talking to you thank you very much for coming on I really appreciate it. And it was great to meet you, too. So um, Yeah, wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to reading some more of your, your books that you're editing. So thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, have a great evening. I will be talking to you later. 